Our scripture today is found in Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 12. Now he said to his disciples, There was a rich man who received an accusation that his manager was squandering his possessions. So he called the manager in and asked, What is this I hear about you? Give me an account of your management, because you can no longer be my manager. Then the manager said to himself, What will I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do, that when I'm removed from management, people will welcome me into their home. So he summoned each one of his master's debtors. How much do, how much do you owe my master? He asked the first one. One hundred measures of olive oil, he said. Take your invoice, he told him. Sit down quickly and write fifty. Next he said to another, How much do you owe? A hundred measures of wheat, he said. Take your invoice, he told him, and write eighty. The master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of his age are more shrewd than the children of light in dealing with their own people. And I tell you, Make friends, make friends for yourself by means of worldly wealth, so that when it fails, they may welcome you into eternal dwellings. Whoever is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and whoever is unrighteous in very little is also unrighteous in much. So if you have not been faithful with worldly wealth, who will trust you with what is genuine? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to someone else, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Lord, uh we invite you to do what only you can do, which is to speak truth, um, which is to break through uh, our, our defenses, through our blasé attitude, through this mind that we can sometimes have that this really doesn't apply to me. Lord, I pray that with the scalpel of the Holy Spirit, you would do spiritual surgery this morning, that you would heal, that you would remove, that, Lord, you would start some of us onto the road towards health, Lord. Lord, I recognize that not everyone here knows you this morning, and, Lord, I pray that uh, in your grace and in your kindness, uh, you may lead those people to saving knowledge of you where they follow you and they trust you and they place their entire lives into your hands Lord we thank you for your church we thank you that we are the gathered church we thank you that you are here in a powerful and a unique way that you're not when we're on our own Lord and so I thank you for what that represents Lord that uh, you are here, that you are good, that you are true, and that you're speaking, Lord. We ask that we would recognize all that. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. 
When I was a kid, uh, Prince of Persia was my favorite video game. As you can see, you know, the graphics back there in the early 90s were just tip top. But, you know, the graphics didn't matter because it was all about gameplay, right? And, uh, and if, if, if you don't know what Prince of Persia is, then it's a 2D platformer uh, where you as a prince had to run through um, various platforms and scenes, jumping over spike-filled pits and uh, climbing walls and trying to avoid uh, the pressure plates in the floor that would usually spring a trap. And the reason you were doing all of this, of course, is to rescue the princess. So it was a great game. But one of the things about Prince of Persia was that there were these particular platforms that if you spent a second too long on them, then they would drop to the floor far, far below. And if you were on them at that time, then you would drop with them and you would splatter in glorious, you know, technicolor of that time. But the tricky thing about these platforms was that you needed the platforms because if the platform wasn't there, then you would not be able to reach the other side of the gap. And these platforms are what's known in the gaming world as a temporary platform. And the trick was to run and to jump and to land on the platform and to allow your momentum to keep you going right before it fell out from underneath you and you with it. And so once you knew the nature of the temporary platform, they actually became a vital part of winning the game. You would not be able to win the game if it wasn't for the temporary platforms. But you also had to remember that they would vanish after a second or so. Our main text this morning is Luke 16, verse 9. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of worldly wealth so that when it fails, they may welcome you into eternal dwellings. Now, to help us get a sense of what this verse means, let's read it in a couple of other translations. This is the New English translation. And, and I tell you, make friends for yourselves by how you use worldly wealth so that when it runs out, you will be welcomed into the eternal homes. And here it, 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 here it is in the New Living Translation. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources Yeah, to benefit others and to make friends, then when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. And then back once again to our original translation uh, in the Coleman, um, sorry, in the Christian Standard Bible. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of worldly wealth so that when it fails... Uh, they, will, they may welcome you into eternal dwellings. Now, wealth is one of these things that is morally neutral, right? In and of itself, wealth is neither good or bad. It's how we use wealth that turns it uh, into something morally good or morally bad. Just like phones can be morally good or morally bad, depending on how they're used. Just like a weapon can be morally good or, or morally bad, depending on how it's used. Just like the internet, it can be morally good or, or morally bad. But in and of itself, the internet just is. Weapons just are. Phones just are. They become good or bad based on, on, on their purpose and the moral agent using them. And of course, wealth falls into that category, right? Money can be used to enslave people or to liberate people. It can be used to bring hope or it can be used to bring maybe tyranny. Now, one example of using wealth um, to free people and to bring hope is the Keo Seima Wildlife Sanctuary in Mandalkiri 
in Cambodia. It's a place which I will actually be visiting in a couple of weeks' time, which I'm super excited about. You see, in this part of, of uh, Cambodia, as society has progressed, what's happened is that the forest has been systematically you know, destroyed, ruined, wiped out. And this forest happens to be the ancestral home of the Bunong tribe, some of the poorest people there in Cambodia. And this forest also happens to be the home of the, of, yeah, the gibbon, the yellow-cheeked variety, which is a small ape. And so using help or using wealth from World Hope International, its supporters, instead of relying on deforestation using wood for money, what the Bonong tribe are doing is that they're making money through ecotourism. So there are people who are going to this part of the country and they're learning how to forage and they're learning how to cook a traditional meal. You can swim in a waterfall uh, plunge pool after a long hike, after observing you know, all the gibbons in the trees in their natural habitat. Now, I'm quite excited because in a few weeks, I'll be getting a brief glimpse. I won't be doing all that. I'm not there on vacation, but I will be getting a small view of what's happening at the Keo Seima Wildlife Sanctuary as part of my mission trip to Cambodia. And, uh, and I'm excited to see you know, the powerful impact that World Hope International Canada is bringing to this Cambodian tribe through the wealth of people like you and I, and through changing uh, folks' mindsets regarding natural resources around them. You see, in this case, wealth can be used to either ruin the forest and the natural uh, natural habitat and the livelihoods there and the culture there, or it can be used to look after and to sustain and to support and to protect all of those things, all in the name of Christ. So wealth can bring death, or wealth can bring life. Wealth is actually one of the foundational God-given resources that we have. And just because it's misused so often and in so many ways, it doesn't mean that it itself is wicked or, or evil. No, the onus is on us, the wealth that God has given us. It's on us to use it wisely. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of worldly wealth so that when it fails, they may welcome you into eternal dwellings. Now, for many of us, we fall into one of two categories. Some of us hold on to our wealth so tight that it never does any good. It just stays in our pocket. It just stays in our savings account or under our mattresses accruing a tiny amount of interest. If it's under your mattress, it's not accruing any interest. But if it's in a savings account, it accrues a tiny bit of interest just waiting for that rainy day for that just in case. And if this is you, then you are known as a rainy day money kind of person. You're waiting for the rainy day. And then there are others who can't of us who can't seem to hold on to our money. I probably fall more into that category than the former, right? It flows through our fingers. We're living from one paycheck onto the next. Our money always seems to be running out. If this is you, then you aren't a rainy day money kind of person. You're a running out of money kind of person. So we got the rainy day money camp and we got the running out of money camp. But this passage in Luke 16 actually shows us a third way how we can use wealth maybe in a different way, regardless of how much wealth we have. And I want you to hear this. Luke 16 is not contingent on how much money you have in the bank. 
So what we see in Luke 16 is that wealth is very useful for a short period of time and for a specific purpose, and then its purpose is done, and then wealth is no longer needed. It's like, you know, the temporary platform in Prince of Persia. You need the platform to help you get to where you're going, but you don't stay there too long. You don't outstay your welcome. You don't treat a temporary platform like it's a permanent structure. Wealth is there. Wealth serves its purpose. And then wealth is gone. Thank you very much, wealth. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of worldly wealth so that when it fails, you may, they may welcome you into eternal dwellings. This passage in Luke 16 is another one of these troublesome passages. We looked at one a couple of weeks ago from Luke chapter 14, right? And here's another one for you. And when I first looked at Luke 16, I did not understand what it meant at all. Now, I don't know about you, but when you heard Stacy read the passage, it appears that Jesus is applauding a, a crook. He's putting a criminally negligent manager on a pedestal, and it sounds like Jesus is saying, hey, you should be more like this person. And so once again, the job in front of us, like it was in Luke 14, is to explain the passage without explaining away the passage. So to help us do that, let's sum up the parable. Okay, there's a wealthy man who finds out that a manager is squandering his resources, and then this wealthy man calls him into his office and he fires him. The manager realizes that he's actually getting the boot, and so he knows that he only has a small window of opportunity, a small window in between him being fired and his master's business partners finding out that he's been fired. Of course, you know, there's no Facebook status updates then, so word would have to get around. And so he has this small window, and so after being fired, he races out of the office, and uh, he, he finds his master's business partners, and he tells them that the money that they owe his master, which is no longer really his master, has been reduced. So the olive oil tycoon who used to owe 100 measures, now he owes 50 measures. And the wheat mogul, who used, to own, who used to owe 100 measures of wheat, now he owes 80 measures of wheat. Now, scholars, not me, but scholars have calculated that uh, uh, how much this reduction is actually worth, taking into account you know, the type of good and what the value was at the time. And it's worth about five. 500 of the local currency uh, in each case. Now, a denarius, which is the local currency, is about one day's wage. So if you, if you reduce it by 500, then what are you talking about? 500 days worth of work. Now, if we translate that into Canadian money, uh, the average income in 2021 was 65,000 uh, uh, Canadian dollars, which, when, which means that when we're talking about 500, not 365, but 500, we're looking at somewhere around 100,000 Canadian dollars. And, to, and so Mr. Uh, Mr. Olive Oil... Um, Mr. Olive Oil Tycoon and Mr. Wheat Mogul, they're both thrilled at this reduction. 
Now, some commentators say that this 500 was the amount that the manager kind of slyly put on top of the money that they owed you know, to the rich man. It was his secret flat fee. And if this is true, then the manager was clearly corrupt. This was not a good man, and maybe this is why he was fired. But then there are other commentators who say that the manager probably hadn't, hadn't stolen any money. Uh, instead, uh, he was fired for maybe being incompetent rather than you know, corrupt. And so, but in this moment where he's fired, he reduces the debt of the wheat and the olive guys as a way of setting things up on his way out of the job so that he had employment options, he had friends after he was fired. And so what this means is that whether he was corrupt then or whether he was you know, corrupt now, he was corrupt. And verse 3 gives us a little bit of insight into what was going on in this manager's mind as he cheats his former boss. Verse 3 says this, Then the manager said to himself, What will I do since my, man- since my master has taken the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I'm removed from management, people will, will welcome me into their homes. One of the commentators said, when you start talking to yourself, you know that you're in really desperate straits, right? Here's a guy who's actually talking to himself. And so the manager is setting himself up so that he won't fail. He's providing for the future. In a sense, he's creating a temporary platform that will help him move on to the next thing. He knows that that platform is not forever. It won't last, but what he's doing is he's making friends and influencing people so that he can get where he needs to go afterwards. And so I imagine that when the rich man, when the wealthy man, when the owner of the company finds out what the manager has done, I imagine that he's got a bit of a wry smile on his face as he realizes that he's been hoodwinked, he's been outmaneuvered, he's been outplayed by this manager. Because what the What the master knows is that there's nothing that he can do about it. He cannot go back to the olive guy and the wheat guy and say, actually, you owe me the full price because it would make him look bad. That was an honor-shame culture. Wood would get around and his business would suffer. So he was really painted into a corner. And then Jesus gives us this helpful summary in verse 8. The master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly for the children of this age are more shrewd than the children of light in dealing with their own people. Now, um, let me talk really briefly about how not to read this passage. Okay, Luke 16, to 8 is not an allegory. It's not like Pilgrim's Progress or The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It's not like you know, the parable of the sower, where um, it's not an allegory. You see, what an allegory is, it invites us to find ourselves in the story, um, in the symbolism there, right? So in the parable of the sower, we're invited to look at our own hearts and say, okay, what type of ground am I? Am I the shallow ground? Am I the rocky ground? Am I the thorny ground? Which one am I? But in this parable, in the parable of the unrighteous manager, it's not an allegory, meaning we are not being invited to read ourselves into the story. Okay, the rich man isn't God, and the manager isn't you, and it isn't me. So if we're not supposed to read ourselves into the story, then how 
are we supposed to read it? Well, we're supposed to read it by taking it at face value, right? This story simply shows how the world works. This is how life is. Someone gets fired and uh, for negligence or maybe corruption, and if they're smart, then they already have interviews lined up. They've already sent out the resume. The, the smart person, not the good person or the righteous person necessarily, but the smart person takes their list of industry contacts with them so that uh, they can carry on doing business after they've been fired, either on their own or as part of a new company, but with that list of people. And so all Jesus is saying is that if people in the world are smart enough to know how to game the system, how to survive by thinking ahead, then how much more should you be thinking ahead, especially when we're talking about eternity? Luke 16, verse 8, For the children of this age are more shrewd than the children of light in dealing with their own people. Jesus is kind of saying that as followers of Jesus, as followers of him, we can sometimes be a bit naive. We can be, you know, we have the whole innocent as doves thing down pat. But we don't really do the wise as serpents thing very well. We're not shrewd. We're not smart. We're a little bit naive. And the way that we're naive is that we treat wealth as though it was a permanent structure instead of a stepping stone. We put all our hope in this wealth, but it's a temporary platform any minute now, and it will vanish. We, you know, we build our bigger barns, and we invest in this and that and the other. And of course, none of that's wrong. But we're so fixated on creating foundations and security and uh, safety on this platform not realizing that in a blink of an eye, it will vanish. It will disappear. And if in the moment of that platform's vanishing, we are on it, the consequences are going to be very, very dire. We will die, just like the Prince of Persia. So then, how are we to view money? How are we to view wealth? Jesus makes it clear. I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of worldly wealth so that when it fails, they may welcome you into eternal dwellings. Jesus is saying that instead of selfishly accruing or investing or spending the money on ourselves, that we should be using it in this short time as wisely um, as wisely as we can, as a stepping stone to something else. So that when it fails, and it will fail, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. So what is it that we should be using our wealth for? How should we be using it so that it is actually a stepping stone to something great and not a millstone around our necks? Well, looking back over the, over the, over the previous few, few chapters, which I've been preaching through over the past few weeks, Luke chapter 14, 15, and 16 actually gives us some really good ideas how we can be using wealth as a stepping stone. It gives us some clues. For example, uh, Luke 14, verse 13 tells us, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor and maimed and lame and blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. 
This sounds a lot to me like making friends with your wealth, which is what Luke 16 said. And then we go on to Luke 14, number 23. Uh, yeah, the parable of the banquet. And it has this line. Then the master told the servant, go out into the highways and the hedges and make them come in so that my house may be filled. Are we starting to see maybe how God wants us to use our money? Because if we're using our wealth you know, correctly, then we're using it to welcome in those uh, who are really disadvantaged in our society. This is one way for us to use wealth as a stepping stone. Next, Luke 14, verse number 26, our favorite verse, our, our verse of the year as a church. I'm, I'm only kidding. It says this, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. If you struggle with that, go back a couple of weeks, listen to the sermon, and uh, maybe you'll find some answers there. But for the sake of our, 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 our talk this morning, uh, we are to use our wealth with Christ at the center, at the pinnacle, over even our personal obligations, our familial obligations. Next, Luke 15 tells us about the lost coin and the lost sheep and the lost son. We, we heard about the lost coin and the lost sheep last week. And in the context of Luke 16 verse 9, uh, the, these stories tell us that we are to use our wealth to help bring in the lost coin and, and the lost sheep and the lost son. Right? It's no accident that Luke 16 comes hot on the heels of Luke 15, that that, that paints a picture of the kingdom that God is trying to create. It's a kingdom of the broken and the lost and the forgotten with Jesus as the king over all. And through the parable of the shrewd manager, Jesus is shaking his head in unbelief at the naivety of you and me and at how unwise we can be in the, youth, in the use of our wealth. Jesus is flabbergasted that we treat wealth like it's a forever foundation, a, a perpetual substructure, instead of viewing it like it is as a stepping stone, a temporary platform that rightly used makes friends for Jesus and leads you to eternal life. So let me ask you this, is your wealth making friends for Jesus? Is your wealth making friends for Jesus? Friends, wealth has its purpose. It's great. Wealth is amazing. It has a purpose to enable us to get to where we need to go. And then it's... So how do disciples live? By treating money, like treating wealth, like a stepping stone, not as a substructure. In other words, that money that you've squirreled away and that you've saved, that you've invested for a rainy day, I'm not saying that's wrong, but I am asking you the question, could you be using it in a better way? When you stand before God, will he praise you for your financial acumen? Or will he look at you with sadness and say that money could have been put to much better use? You could have set up schools in India, or helped Ukrainian refugees, or sent missionaries overseas, or sponsored a world vision child, or invested in healthy drinking water, 
over in Cambodia. You could have done any of this, but that wealth primarily just sat there, except for a little bit that you, you gave away. You treated that money like it was a permanent substructure and not as it should be, as a temporary stepping stone to something greater and actually permanent. Which is why Jesus follows this story, this parable, with these words. Whoever is faithful in little will is also faithful in much. And whoever is unrighteous in very little is also unrighteous in much. So if you who have not been faithful with worldly wealth, who will trust you with what is genuine? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to someone else, then who will give you what is your own? Friends, if you're misusing worldly wealth, then at best you are naive. First, you are foolish. Because Jesus asked, if you are not faithful with worldly wealth, then who will trust you with what is genuine? This thing that we call wealth, that we prize and we cover and we spend and we hoard, it's just stuff. Yes, it's stuff that we attribute meaning to and value to, but it's just stuff. But it's also a test. No servant can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So like the unrighteous manager, we're on our way out. One day, either sooner or later, we're going to be fired from this life. We're going to be fired from this world. We're going to lose our position. The single 100% surefire thing is that we will all die. We will walk through the door into a future that none of us have ever experienced, just like that manager. The ultimate unknown. And as the popular saying says, you cannot take it with you. Money stays here. Wealth stays here. You know, the best case is it goes to your family or to the charities of your choice. The worst case is it goes to the government. But when we die, we lose all control over how that wealth is used. The only time that we have control over how our money is used is now. And this wealth has a purpose. It's a platform. We use it to get from where we are to where we need to be by making friends, by helping the poor, welcoming the needy, bringing in the lost sheep, finding that lost coin, and taking up our cross and following Christ. This is how we use our wealth. We tread lightly on it. We don't put our full weight on it. We don't stop on it. We don't set up camp on it. We don't put our hope in it. Wealth is a means to an end. It's a stepping stone to something permanent, to something glorious, to something incredible, to wealth eternal. So my challenge to you this week is out of your wealth, large or small, is to give an amount, large or small, to someone or a kingdom organization who is not expecting it. To use your wealth to make friends for Jesus. And so, as we close, let's allow these words from Jesus Christ to reorientate our affections, to reorder our priorities. As the worship team comes up, just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you through these words. You can either read it with your eyes open, or you can just meditate on it 
with your eyes closed. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be provided for you. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your Father delights to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Make money bags for yourselves that won't grow old, an inexhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Awesome.